Okay, you guys, I've recorded this intro. This has got to be the 12th time I've tried, and it's it's just, uh, I've gotten rusty. I've never been that good at it anyways, but you know what? I'm going to just, just plow, plow on. See, I already want to push stop and control Z. Plow on? What does that mean? I'm going to march on? That, I don't know. Sounds too militant. I'm just gonna keep going. I'm gonna stop talking about it. Um, it's good to be back. I hope uh, I hope you guys aren't too too bummed out about um, missing uh, an episode last week. But I figured being on a honeymoon is as good as re- good of a reason as any. Is that how you say it? To uh, to not have an episode. Um, my honeymoon was great. The wedding was great. Uh, I do want to say give you guys a couple pieces of advice for those of you if you're uh oh my god can you can you hear it can you hear how i can't even talk right now here is my advice for you if you are going to get married someday soon keep in mind you're throwing a party the biggest party you will ever throw in your life for all of your closest friends and family and you're not really going to get to hang out with any of them not for any like meaningful length of time and you just gotta, you just gotta deal with it. The next day, I woke up. Oh my gosh! Did I brush them off? Did I brush her off? I didn't even get to say hi to so and so. You gotta let that go, because everybody else had a great time, and everybody understands. You're busy. You got a lot of shit going on. My second piece of advice: don't have a house guest the week before your wedding, unless they're like one of your best friends or like a close family member that you can kind of almost boss around and have them go do stuff. Don't, don't have somebody who's visiting the country for the first time, maybe, um, as your house guest, because you won't be that great of a host to them. And also I don't want to get into it, but just trust me, don't do it. Um, (laughs) house keys were lost among other things like my mind. Um, three, you don't need a you don't need a wedding DJ. You don't need to spend three to five thousand dollars on a wedding DJ. I did that from my pocket. Spotify playlist. The dance floor was hopping all night. The cops showed up. That was fun. <laughs> um, when yeah, great great honeymoon, all that great stuff. It's it's um, I'm bummed to be done with the fun stuff I'm happy to be done with the planning um, one more quick little story uh, Saturday I finally got to go to Control Voltage and finally got to meet Abe from AI Synthesis so that was pretty cool my uh, my best friend and best man Justin uh, decided let's, let's, let's go for a day trip okay let's do it so we just drove down to Portland um, and uh, yeah we were just there for a few hours and it was, uh, it was really cool to finally uh see control voltage and uh, meet some of the guys working there and uh, hang out with Abe. So I, uh, I foresee more Portland trips in the future and I'm, I'm really want to do, uh, do something live down there. Could, could I get some Portland pod mod bods out for a live podcast? If we had a couple uh, performers out and did some live uh, patch challenges, does that sound like something you would enjoy? If it does, uh, let me know. Um, what else? Okay, I don't know if I'm going to get to any cool demos today, but 
Um, I do want to thank our sponsors, AI Synthesis and Recovery Effects. Uh, please go check out their websites to, uh, yeah, to help support cool companies doing uh, really innovative stuff with uh, Eurorack format. And Recovery Effects also has um, guitar pedals, which are amazing. Um, quick reminder, we have the modular on-the-spot cassettes on selfcenterrecords.bandcamp.com. We also have the digital versions, and uh, the track that you hear below me right now is, uh, is from Donald Crunk. And that is on the Modular on the Spot Volume One. Um, it's it's such a cool cassette. The artwork's awesome, and uh, and it sounds really great. So the digital's fine too if you don't have a cassette player. What else? Um, Patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Thank you if you're helping out. Um, if you would like to help out, you know I would really appreciate it. Um, you help us keep the. The LEDs blinking over here at PodMod, and also I'm uh, now that the wedding's over, I'm going to be trying to uh, to find a new career because I hate my day job. If you haven't gathered that from listening to the show, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I don't know, I'm I'm blabbing now. Um, so let's get into this uh, uh, this conversation with Sarah Bell Reed. If you haven't heard of her, I am so excited to get to introduce you to her. She uh, she does some really interesting stuff with trumpet, and she interfaces it with modular via this device called Migsy, and uh, we're going to get into that and much more. Thanks again for listening. is going to get really tired of hearing me say this because I say it to so many of our guests and it's it doubly true for you. I have no idea where to start with all the crazy stuff <laughs> that you do. <laughs> um, but I'd, let's, uh, I'd like to hear just kind of the beginning. Like, did you start with trumpet or how did you get into music? And then I'd like to cover how you got into um, all the crazy stuff that you do with trumpet and modular and and everything. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually started with piano, I guess, if you want to go way back. <laughs> um, okay. as a, just a little kid, I think a lot of kids do maybe, I don't know, but I started with piano when I was about four or five years old. My mom taught me piano. Um, and then I got a okay. little older and I saw, um, some like people playing in bands and thought that was really cool. So I wanted a portable band <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I started playing trumpet at that point. It was like one of those very wonderful things that you don't, like, I didn't know I wanted the trumpet, but I think my uncle had an old marching band trumpet in his garage and my family was not trusting me enough to go invest in a musical instrument. So they're like, here, Sarah, have the, (laughs) have this wonderful (laughs) thing. It's so great. Um, but I actually fell in love and I loved it. And I played, you know, I was around seven or eight years old when I started playing trumpet. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I played it all through high school. I went to a, I ended up doing a, like a bachelor of music, um, in classical trumpet performance. So I was very traditionally trained. It was like a very kind of conservatory method, uh, 
I guess, program. And um, for mm -hmm. a long time, I was, you know, thought I was destined to be an orchestral trumpet player and kind of follow that, that path. Um, but then... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you, you definitely wound up somewhere very different than yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually think there was like a one singular but then, but a lot of little things started happening. I just... Um, I started to, I, I was living in Montreal at the time and I started to meet some really interesting composers and, um, I was at, uh, McGill university. I was in the, the like music school, but at McGill, there's something called Kermit, which is the center for interdisciplinary research in music technology. Um, I didn't know about them when I was an undergrad. Um, but I saw, I happened to stumble across a performance that someone was doing at McGill from Kermit and they were demoing this interface. And uh, I don't really remember a lot about it cause it was just one of these like, you know, in passing kind of, kind of things. But um, they were demoing this gestural interface with a cello player and a dancer. And I just kind of remember that moment was like a very important eye-opening concert moment for me because I was like what is this magic <laughs> what is happening there's no <laughs> piano for one like what's up <laughs> there's no yeah. orchestra there's so no was, you know it was just wild it was great well you definitely have uh, a performance art aspect to a lot of what you do and it would, was that kind of one of those first things that kind of opened your eyes to that world? Or? It was around the same time, but I actually credit that one to a collaboration I did with this amazing composer from the Philippines. Um, her name's Felice Ann Macias. And we met around the same time. I was really getting kind of curious and like thirsty for, you know, new stuff, new interactions, new collaborations. And um, we met working on an opera together of all things. And oh, then wow. I asked her, I'm like, Hey, will you write me music? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So, but it turns <laughs> out she was a really interesting experimental composer and she wrote this piece for me for solo trumpet voice. Um, not like singing voice, but kind of speaking, uh, more theatrical voice, I guess. And these mm -hmm. little handbells that wrap around your hand, there are these Filipino bells, these like traditional prayer bells or something. And, um, it was a really challenging piece because I had to kind of totally ditch all of my training, you know, the whole walk on stage, look very prepared, stoicness that a lot of classical musicians have. I had to ditch that completely because there was this really like visceral kind of character that I had to play in this piece. And, um, Anyway, we worked every week. We met up, you know, I think for at least a few hours every week for a period of many months. And then I premiered the piece in a series of concerts, first in Montreal, then in New Hampshire, and then in Toronto within the span of a couple months. And I remember every time playing this piece, I just felt more and more like this. I don't know what I'm doing fully, but this is this is the right direction for me. And I, I hadn't quite figured out, did that mean new music or performance art or something in between or some combination but it was just so liberating to not to just be able to like I don't know perform in some kind of way that was so much more embodied than what I was used to I don't know does that make sense it totally makes sense yeah and I, and I can I can see that influence kind of ripple throughout all the all the stuff that I've seen you do because there's 
I mean, I can tell that you're classically trained, but you definitely there's I'm sure you've I've you've been called avant-garde before. You know, there's like this really really cool experimental but theatrical, you know, uh, through line that kind of goes through all your stuff. And that seems very intentional and, and it seemed kind of, seems like everything's kind of centered around that to me. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, um, I think it's like a series, like I said, kind of at the beginning, there's a series of things. I mean, that collaboration with Felice was very life changing. Um, she would probably I don't know. I don't know what she'd say if she knew I said that, but it was a really important collaboration. Sometimes those ones, you know, you just, you don't expect them to be so important, but they are. But, you know, since that point, I think I kind of had like a new um, sort of benchmark or threshold for what I wanted to feel when I performed, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I kept wanting that. I'm like, okay, that, I know that's possible now, so I need to find that again. <laughs> like, how do I keep <laughs> finding that? Is it the people that I'm working with? And that's a big part of it, because um, collaboration is so obviously huge. But then also just like, what about the, my experience performing and preparing? And what about this preparation and this whole experience? Can I like... I don't know, bring to it to get that, get that feeling again. And it's been like a journey since then. I keep, I keep searching for it. <laughs> chasing, chasing the creative dragon. Yeah. Um, so while, while, while we're kind of on the subject, I, I, I was wondering how much do you still lean on your classical training? Um, and is most of the stuff that you do with trumpet improvised when you're performing live or, and, and uh, yeah, is, is, is that something that you've kind of, you know, is in the background of your brain or is it something that you, you access, you know, consciously when you're, when you're mm. doing a performance? Ooh. Um, that was a multi-part question. I think. Yeah, it was definitely um, a poorly worded multi-part <laughs> question. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I think I get what you, so yeah, I mean, I'd say these days when I'm playing a solo set, which I do, I'm doing more of, uh, or even some a lot of the small ensembles duos that I do most of the time I'm improvising um i <clears throat> i um yeah I definitely went through a period of time where I was kind of I think this kind of jump started with Felice actually I was mm -hmm. collaborating with a lot of composers and I was going up to people left right and center and be like hey let's work together what because I was like a sponge you know every time <laughs> I'd get a different be able to work with a different composer whatever they were thinking about and like dreaming about would would be something that I would get to learn about and benefit from. And it would be this amazing growing experience. Um, and then I did that for a, a, you know, a large number of years. And as a result, ended up premiering and collaborating, premiering a lot of works and collaborating with a lot of composers, which was really cool. Um, but then I got to a point where um, I guess, again, through a series of things, I started to get a little more curious about my own compositional voice and my own voice as a trumpet player, I kind of started to question, um, I don't know exactly how to say it, but maybe why I was playing the trumpet in the first place. I, this was around the time that I was starting to work a little bit more with electronics and, mm -hmm. um, it was a pretty interesting, it wasn't a transition because I never obviously stopped playing trumpet, but it, it did bring up a lot of questions in my mind. And so I think at the same time I started to improvise a lot more just to be a little more spontaneous with what, what I was thinking and feeling that day, that moment, you know, on the trumpet. 
Um, I totally yeah. can relate to that. Yeah, I I started off playing you know guitar and and just in basic rock bands, you know, and and that I don't know. I, I, it's still fun to to play and everything, but there was definitely a point where I was kind of like, this is you know, because ultimately you start being. I started being a musician for you know as a mode of self-expression and i just didn't feel like i was expressing myself and then i i started finding electronic music and uh kind of set this guitar aside for a long time and now i've brought it back in and kind of melded it into this new thing and it's yeah it's mm. it's kind of that similar feeling of like just just being like reinvigorated with uh kind of that that thirst yeah. for more or whatever <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah um and then you know in terms of the like you know leaning on the classical training or what are using the classical training I'm I still feel like very um what am I trying to say I mean there's moments when um you know I'm grateful for it a lot of moments when I'm grateful for it when I'll, I'll be improvising and I'll say in my mind I'm like oh I I need to do this like I hear this thing this, um, you know, technically maybe kind of intricate passage, or I hear this sound and I want to somehow match that sound. And I'm able to, the reason why I'm able to is because of years and years of training on this instrument, right? It's like, yeah. you know, to be able to hear a thing and kind of execute that thing and not have some facility on the horn or on the tool stop you up is a really incredible feeling. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for all the background, like that background that I had, even though at the time it was grueling, but, um, yeah, it's almost like as I get farther and further away from the traditional career path of a trumpet player, I find myself tapping into those skills more and more, like all the ear training and the you know, yeah, I imagine, all that kind of stuff. I imagine a lot of it's probably got to be just kind of in your bones now or in your DNA somehow. Like it's almost like, like you said, if you, if you, you, if something pops in your head, I want to do that. You can, you can go to it almost like it's muscle memory or something. Almost, but the trumpet, <laughs> <laughs> the trumpet's a very, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. The trumpet's a very unforgiving <laughs> instrument. Like you, you go away for a week and it, it like pouts at you for like a month, you know, it's, it's not happy. <laughs> I have heard that, that if you, if you don't, if you don't keep a regular practice, you, you kind of have to like retrain your, your lip muscles to, to be able to handle. Yeah. It seems very grueling in that, that regard. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of very tiny, tiny, tiny muscles in your, in the lips. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, it doesn't take much for them to, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, I chose trombone and band in like fourth grade because I couldn't make a sound on the trumpet. So <laughs> the much more forgiving, um, there you go. <laughs> you, you mentioned you found, so when you found electronics and I'm kind of curious, what were the first electronics that you found as far as, you know, you know, expression with music and, and, and how did you first incorporate the trumpet with something like that? Uh, um, ooh, I th- well, I think that moment, that concert that I mentioned at, at, that Kermit was doing, I think that was my first exposure consciously. Obviously, I mean, it's a funny thing because I'd been, um, I'd definitely heard electronic music before then, but I think I was so absorbed in my practice as a, you know, classical trumpet player that I wasn't just, it just wasn't registering as being particularly noteworthy or something mm-hmm. to me um that concert at, that I saw at McGill was very a very stand like standout moment um 
but it wasn't like an immediate shift over to electronic music. I actually think, um, so I came out to California. I was doing my, my grad, my master's degree at CalArts. So that's what brought me out here to California. Um, and I, I was still very much in my, you know, deep collaboration. Who can I find to work with next kind of thirsty stage (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better expression. Um, and I, and I ended up on one of the very first days I was at CalArts, I ended up meeting someone who has become a really dear friend of mine. It's, uh, his name, his name is Justin Scheid and he's a composer, wonderful composer, flautist, electronic musician, um, does a lot of work with Max MSP. And, um, so we started talking and at that point I still wasn't really composing. I was predominantly, you know, kind of still a performer. Mm -hmm. Um, and we started talking about what a collaboration might look like. And, um, that led to a piece for trumpet and live, like, kind of live processing in Max basically. Um, and that was the first time that I'd ever performed a piece with electronics and because it was responsive and like, you know, it wasn't a fixed media playback piece. It felt really great to perform. And I had a lot of fun. I could kind of ebb and flow and depending on what I gave the the patch, it would give me something back a little different each time and that kind of thing. Um, and so I think that was another one of those sort of pivotal moments, um, where I was like, I need to learn this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know how to do this on my own (laughs) because it's great. Um, So what was the, so how did you transition into like hardware modular gear? Like when did, do you get your own modular setup and, and really like start? And I guess my question is how did you go about selecting which modules you were going to choose? Because going into it from your approach is, I would say almost like purely unique. It's it's much different than somebody just being like, oh, I want a, a basic setup, a basic synth voice to start composing with. Imagine you had very specific <sighs> ideas about what you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, oh, um, <laughs> it took me a while to actually. It's interesting because the whole modular synth stuff came a lot later for me in this whole path. Um, I guess I was first, actually first exposed to modular synths as an instrument when just not so much long, not too long after this story, not that you're keeping track (laughs) of this history, but, hmm, you know, not too long after working with Justin, I, um, I ended up meeting someone who is my current partner and partner on in development on Migsy and a ton of projects, um, whose name is Ryan Gaston. And I saw him play modular synth. He's a wonderful modular synthesizer player and also plays a ton of other instruments. And, um, I saw that and I kind of was like, what the, <laughs> like what's going on? And so I'm like, we need to, I think within about 30 seconds, he was performing, we were both performing at the same concert. And after he played, I went up to him and said, we need to work together now, <laughs> <laughs> like right now. Um, so we started a duo and that duo is still going. It's called Burnt Dot. And that's our, it, it started as a trumpet. It's funny. It started as like pretty much acoustic trumpet and modular synth. And then it merged into kind of amplified trumpet and modular synth and then sometimes two modular synths and then Ryan started playing the daxophone. So now it's, so then it was like trumpet and daxophone and modular and daxophone. Anyway, it's just a whole amorphous thing, but, um, that was my first introduction to modular synths as, as instruments. And I remember the first thing that I thought, and the reason why I fell in love with them so much is because 
of how much they sounded like a trumpet. <laughs> and I think that might be the weirdest thing maybe to some people listening, but there's a lot of sound character, like sonic characteristics and qualities that you can get on a synth that I think sound a lot like trumpet and vice versa. A lot of kind of metallic and gurgly and air sounds that you can achieve on the trumpet sound a lot like the synth. So to me, it was a really just like natural pairing. Um, and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I, we were working together and then at the same time I was sort of in the initial stages of trying to figure out what this design could be for this interface that I would put on mm -hmm. my trumpet, right? I don't know if you're familiar with, but this like, you know, augmented trumpet, electronically enhanced trumpet thing. Um, and that was all sort of happening at the same time. And um, I brought the idea up to Ryan one day and he was <laughs> like, let's do it, like, let's go. And so the two of us have been working on that ever since. I think that was like late 2014, maybe, that we started working on that. And um, yeah, it's been a project okay. ever since. So it's and that yeah. is that Migsy. That's that Migsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I was I was I'm sitting here looking at like the things that I have to get to. I was like, I gotta get to Burnt Dot and I got to get to Migsy. Oh good. I you just, just I you just, just did it in a nice one fell swoop. Yeah. <laughs> well we can elaborate <laughs> on any of those if you want. Yeah, well, I mean I watched some of the, the videos of the uh Burnt Dot performances earlier today actually, and very interesting stuff. Um and it seems like it seems like Ryan has a like a, a lap not a laptop, but like a uh, a case that sits on his lap that he plays, but it looks like he, he's got that patched to a, a larger system off to the side that maybe you're running your trumpet through as well. It, it seems hmm. like quite, I was trying to figure out what exactly was happening during I your wonder, guys' performance. Yeah, I wonder which performance you're talking about. Um, it was looked there... like one, it looked like it was an in-studio thing. You guys were both just sitting in front of a couple mics. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, I, I think I know. Then yeah, if that were the case, um, hmm, that he might was, have. He was definitely playing some sort of controller on on his lap, <laughs> his laptop uh, synthesizer. Right. Again, not a laptop. But. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Like a little synth that sits on his lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looked yeah. like it was like a, you know, like six U eighty four HP or something. Yeah, like that. he it's, has a little. He has a little Eurorack system that um, that he that he plays. That's probably what you were seeing. Um, if there were, I mean, we did a performance once that is fun. I don't think this is what you're talking about, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. <laughs> um, it was it was two trumpets and two modular synth players, but one of them was Todd. So Ryan Ryan was one. The other was Todd Barton. And oh, um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. <laughs> Todd <laughs> is a very good friend, and we're also big fans. So, and That's um, awesome. and then the other trumpet player was Chris Tyner, who's a really wonderful um, improviser who lives just north of LA in the Bakersfield area. Um, and so it was the four of us, and we had this idea. We were like, "What if Burnt Dot was double? What would happen?" And so we just like, "Let's do it." But the f the trick about this concert was that we couldn't work it out schedule wise to get everyone in LA. So Todd actually performed with us telematically from his studio in <laughs> in in Oregon. And so we had these big like TV screens set up next to Ryan and myself, oh, wow. kind of in between, where Todd's face. <laughs> <laughs> was like projected kind of in the concert hall like he was there and he was playing from yeah it was it was fun it worked really well surprisingly yeah that that on paper that sounds like something that would 
maybe not go so well <laughs> after watching you guys pull it off in that video earlier. Um, yeah, that would have been amazing to see. And Todd, Todd is kind of a, a legend. So that's, that's pretty I, sweet. Yeah, it was pretty special. I've, I found that video. It didn't really say where you were, but uh, Ryan was wearing a black and red flannel shirt. I don't know if that rings <laughs> a bell. <laughs> yeah, I think that one is just a studio recording. I think we were, um, it was just amplified trumpet and his Euro rack system. And I think he had a little spring reverb or something okay. with him that he might have been like playing on the side. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty like... I'd say those were OG burnt dot days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you were to see us tomorrow, I would probably be playing augmented trumpet. He would probably be playing saxophone with a bunch of crazy processing and stuff like that on the laptop. Okay. So let's talk about Migsy a little bit. Um, I guess for the listener and for me, I mean, I, I've seen it. I don't fully understand it. But if you could give us just kind of a, an outline of what, what exactly that contraption is. Totally. Um, yeah, so in a nutshell, it's, um, okay, I don't even know where to start. I should be good at this, right? But I'm not. <laughs> it's hard to describe the things you're closest to, I think. Right. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm experiencing here. So yeah, MIGSY is basically a sensor-based interface. Um, so I had, um, you know, early on when this whole idea started, there were a lot of people who were well, not a lot of people, but there were some people who were putting kind of the idea of putting a MIDI controller onto a trumpet or onto another instrument as a way of not needing to interact with the MIDI controller or the laptop in, in live performance. Mm -hmm. So they'd put some buttons or some switches onto their instrument. And um, that was interesting to me. But I was also really kind of doing a lot of reading and research about... Um, uh, well, I was learning a lot about analog sensors, like pressure sensors and tilt sensors and all of these different things. And so I, was, I, I became really interested to explore what could happen if you put, instead of putting you know, buttons and switches on a trumpet, if you put these things on and, and tried to collect um, gestural information and physical in information that was just part of the trumpet and part of being a trumpet player like you have to hold the trumpet so what amount of hand tension is present when you hold it and play it in different ways you know and you have to um push valves down right mm -hmm. so what happens if you put sensors in the valves that can in real time collect all of that data as the valves go up and down and, and then like you know what does that sound like or what could that potentially sound like musically if you were to map that data to some kind of musical parameter. So that's kind of what MIGSY is. It's a sensor-based interface, um, again, that Ryan and I have been working on since for many years now, I guess. <laughs> um, it just goes onto the bottom of my trumpet. For those who are familiar with trumpets, it just kind of goes onto the bottom of the valve casing. It slides on beneath the horn, and then there's a hand guard that has a bunch of sensors inside of it that wrap around the trumpet um, where you hold it. And yeah, it collects a whole bunch of information as I play or don't play, even if I'm just holding it, it'll collect data. And then that gets sent over to a computer and um, then the magic happens. Because <laughs> then, then you can do whatever you want with it, basically. Okay. So do you, do you interface that with modular? And if so, do you go through the computer yeah. first and then to a modular through, through like an expert sleepers device or something? That's exactly right. Yeah. So for the first couple of years, it was almost exclusively Macs. Um, 
but then this last year we started to kind of explore, um, yeah, pairing, interfacing with other things. So modular for sure, um, by way of expert sleepers, um, ES8, and, and we also did some work with some, we've got these crazy robotic, like mechatronic drums um, <laughs> at CalArts that are just insane. And so working with Migsy and the drums and these robotic pianos and stuff. So it's kind of been a year of just branching out away from the laptop computer and toward, you know, interfacing with other. Okay. Other so gear. I'm just trying to picture in my head, like, and just remember the videos that I've seen you play it you know like as a as a viewer it's very it's it's very interesting because i'm i'm not sure exactly what you're doing to make specific sounds come out so i'm wondering so you're playing the trumpet but the the sensors aren't so much the the migsy isn't so much um interconnected with the sound the trumpet's making but it's more of all the different motions that are happening and i'm just curious but if i hope that's right that's um is, is, did I, I think, that sounds kind of. Yeah. I hope that's accurate. No, 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 that's good. <laughs> um, so, are are you are you controlling? Um, you know, like what 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 types of things are you controlling with Migsy? You know, envelopes or you know, just like like clocks or, or like what kind of what kind of modules do you typically? Yeah. Um, interface it with. I guess. Oh, geez, all of the above, but um, it depends. I I'm really um, I kind of improvise all the time. And then that goes with like my pat, like when I make a patch, I'm really just sort of improvising too. And so I don't really have like a set thing that I do mm -hmm. typically. Um, although that would probably be smart. Cause then I think it, it would take me less time to, to like set up and stuff if I had a plan, <laughs> but I don't, I usually don't. Um, I guess sometimes I will say sometimes Migsy does process. So sometimes I play, you know, I play a lot of amplified sounds. Like I, I love that internal trumpet mm -hmm. air water poppy stuff and so because i was using a microphone so much we did recently actually this was also this past year we integrated a bunch of um put you know live processing stuff granular uh stuff and um just other things like delay just things we weren't doing before and then i would use migsy to modulate all of that and kind of control the interactions between those with those sounds. But then in terms of, um, yeah, I'm losing my train of thought here a little. <laughs> Where am I going with this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I gotta keep, be, I gotta try to, to explain track the whole story. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, like you can really, the exciting thing about Migsy is that it's just seven. At the end of the day, you have seven continuous streams of data. And I think that's right. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah six, seven, eight. I don't know. Anyway, seven or eight. <laughs> We're not counting today. <laughs> and, um, you can use those for anything. You could, um, you know, modulate, like you said, envelopes, you could do any kind of the speed of, of, uh, I, I, I use a lot of random stuff in my patches. So, um, being able to kind of modulate the rate of change okay. between, between a couple different States is really interesting because then you can kind of get this like ebb and flow between, chaos which is very common in my work and then these moments of stillness a lot of people ask me about that like how do you get everything to just stop on command like how do you get these moments of just still and that's kind of my approach with that is I um I set up a patch that's like inherently 
very, very chaotic and noisy. And then I use Migsy often to, instead of, um, you know, the more I press down on something, the wilder it gets. I kind of take the opposite approach. So I'll set up something that's inherently a bit busy and crazy and manic. And then the when I introduce uh, information from Migsy, it's kind of compressing or controlling the patch and like quieting it down or like steadying it all out so that it like maybe resolves down to a single pitch or something like that. Um, and it's just a little bit, okay. I think it might be backwards from how some people think about it, but for me, it makes a lot of sense because often the gestures that correspond with that are things that are very, very physical for me to do. So I need to either, um, you know, hold the horn with a lot of pressure or I need to put all my val valves down at once or I need to tilt in a slightly awkward way. So for me, the physical gesture is really intense. So the result should be something that feels like, you know, um, comparatively kind of like that kind of same tension with it. I, uh, yeah. And to me, mm -hmm. tension is, is like calmness because <laughs> the natural order of the universe is just complete <laughs> chaos. So <laughs> when everything is smooth, it's not okay. Think, yeah. We all, I think we all share a little bit of that. Those of us attracted to the modular mm -hmm. world, there's always, you know, like the, the creating of tension to break it is also just one of yeah. my favorite things to do. Um, you mentioned a, a, a few minutes ago, like that you really loved the, the, the pops and the air and, and just like the kind of watery <laughs> sounds that, that you can get out of a trumpet. And I was just like watching today that the tubes wire and water. And then the other one was like aged doll, oh, right, or the yeah. doll aged, um, both very interesting, um, videos to watch, but like with with your the way you use air and you kind of just like express almost there you like do vocalizations mm -hmm. through the horn and you even use like the spit <laughs> valve as a part of the the piece like is that what how did that come to you have you is that something that is is part of the more like obscure trumpet world or was that something that you just kind of started doing um maybe a little bit of both. I mean, there are, there's not a lot of traditional trumpet repertoire that leverages that side of the horn, but there are, there is certainly some, um, I would be definitely <laughs> wrong to say that there isn't, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, serious classical trumpet music that uses those techniques. Um, but the way that, so I was exposed to it a little bit. They're all very polite, though, I think. Like, it's very, you know, yeah. when you hear that kind of stuff in new That's music or new classical music, it's, like, a little bit like a thump, thump, thump. And, like, it's just this very kind of nice little gesture. But when I do it, it's a very, like, kind of... It's actually funny when you were talking about spits and spit valve and stuff a second ago, the little eight-year-old in me was like, ew, gross. <laughs> Even though it's my horn, it's my whole life. But um. Well, yeah, th that kind of went through me when I saw you do that, too. Like My initial reaction was like, oh, whoa. Like, that's something that I would have done in front of my friends. But then, I don't know, like, but then after, like, the initial, like, eight-year-old response was, I was like, that's that's really cool. Like, and I don't know, you have your own, you have your own voice yeah. through all of that. And I, and it's very visceral. And I, I don't know. I like, <laughs> I like that. I kind of derailed okay. you there. I but. like it too. I think, I think over the years it's become a really important part of my voice. Um, just in general, as a musician, I think there's something so personal about air and breath, you know, the body and breath and, and all of 
that part of trumpet playing that is often not considered, or if it is considered, it's, um, well, I don't know. A lot of the time when you get that sound or you hear that stuff, it's like, oh, you're breathing too loudly, or, oh, you've got spit in your horn, empty <laughs> that, you know, like, God forbid, you know. So a lot of that stuff was is sort of not um, not accepted as the best sound on the horn. But when I really started to explore it, there were a few people in my life at the time. I'm, I've been very lucky. As I'm telling you this story, I'm kind of reflecting back and thinking like, geez, you know, I had a lot of really great people who kind of encouraged me along at the right times. And I have to give them a ton of credit because um, it was pretty special to have that, you know, that support and just to have someone even in a passive way be like hey that sounds cool it's like oh really okay you know so I think as I was exploring some of this stuff um it was simultaneously this very liberating thing of just being like you know what this is me my trumpet is this physical this thing that is absolutely connected to my body in a very kind of intimate way like I have to breathe in order to play it and so what if you can hear me breathe or, or like having to kind of gasp for air if I'm working really hard? Like it's a hard instrument to play, you know? And, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And like instead of kind of trying to rep or suppress those um, natural things that come up, I think I kind of got into a, a head space of trying to leverage them and trying to expose them. Like actually it has a lot, it's, it's a similar thing to, part of the reason why I love modular synth so much is like that, that wires just wires everywhere. It's like exposed. We're not keeping any secrets. Like it's just, here are all the connections. Here's all of the stuff that's happening. And, um, as a result, somehow it feels a little more raw, I guess. And like authentic. Um, and yeah, that's, that's totally the word. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm thinking of the way, you know, just kind of what, what I was talking about earlier with what I noticed about how you're, you're very, you know, um, visual art centered with a lot of what you're doing. So like just, just the way you're playing the instrument, I don't know. It's just, it's all very visually engaging to have someone playing something like a trumpet, but then have something as engaging as a modular setup with them or something like Migsy. And then for your, you know, like you were saying, like the, the natural part of like what happens with your body yeah. while you're, making this thing make the noise like it, it all becomes this one yeah. one thing and it's I don't know you you found like a really nice balance of it it's well, it works you. really well <laughs> thanks yeah I mean it feels like the most honest thing I could be doing I think I, I mean shit I don't know <laughs> I had I had a <laughs> I had an encounter with a really wonderful musician a few years ago who was just like I don't want to hear this is a trippy story every time I think about it I'm like this isn't real it didn't happen but um <laughs> I don't know. Do you, well, I don't know if I should tell the whole story or not. It might be long, but. Um, oh, oh, man. Well, I, I'd love to hear any, it. Well, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I can make it short. How about I try to do a abridged version? I think I can do this. Okay. In a nutshell, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the jazz bass player, Charlie Hayden. I'm sure some people are who are listening, but just like an absolute legend of a bass player. Um, and I had the very bizarre and wonderful opportunity to play in his band close to the end of his life, like in the last year, year and a half that he was alive. And um, I, he was the very first person who ever asked me to improvise. Um, and I never improvised before. I was, you know, I'd come in, for, this was really early on at my time at CalArts and I was coming from my classical up background. 
And he's like, I want you to improvise solo on this piece. And I looked at him, I'm like, oh no, Charlie, I don't like, and this is like saying no, you got to understand the kind of weight of saying no to someone like this. To me, <laughs> having grown up, I listened to his record every day of my life. And, you know, he's a, you know, like him and Miles Davis and this crew. I mean, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, I can't, I don't solo. I'm not that kind of player. And he's like, I don't want you to play changes. I don't want you to solo. I don't want you to like improvise in some way. I just want to hear your voice. And it totally flipped my world upside down. And um, wow. I might have played a really bad solo that day, but I don't know if it matters because what happened is I had this person just say, like, give me permission to just have my voice on this instrument for, for, I don't know, one of the first times that was really memorable to me and as a musician in my, up at that point, up until that point in my life. And um, it's like that he's sadly, he's no longer alive, but I think that, that permission, that moment will be there forever. And um, that's a big part of why I just embrace this side of my trumpet playing. It's weird. It's kind of unusual. Sometimes it's super ugly. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of conventional standards, uh -huh. but it's my voice. It's what's happening in the moment. And, and I think that's all I can really offer, you know, uh, to be authentic. So anyway, that's, uh, that's a lovely story. Thank <laughs> you for sharing. I really know that's, that's, You're that's welcome. like the type of, those are like the best types of stories. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You, there's those moments, you know, with the, just the right people that you, if you don't have that moment, who knows, you know, who knows where you'd be. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's so crazy. Yeah. I'm try I'm I'm rambling as I'm trying because I know I have at least one of those moments, but <laughs> my brain won't let me access it. So, sorry, listener, you don't get to hear my story. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's okay. I think we all have those. You know, it, the kind of amazing thing about it is it hit, it didn't hit me right away. I mean, I t I just told the story as though it was like a bombshell kind of enlightening moment, but I think it actually took a little while for it to hit, and. Um, I think a lot of things like that in, are like that in life, you know, like this thing will happen. It might be just sort of whatever, like blase at the time or maybe even insignificant. And then but then years later, you'll look back and be like, wow. Yeah, it's it's kind that of like profound. the epicenter of a cha big change or something. You can trace it back to that that yeah, moment. That's right. And what a yeah. cool moment to have with like a childhood hero. I mean, that's that's super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was pretty special. So this time is going by way too quickly. I feel like we have <laughs> so much more stuff to cover. Um, we're going to get to uh, your adjective noun pretty soon, but yep. um, there is there is one more project here. Like there's so much stuff on your website that we could look at and talk about. Um, but one that was kind of seemed really interesting to me was the postcard project. Oh. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell the listener a little bit about that. I know you've had some pretty, pretty cool people work with you on it. Um, oh, I have. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. This is such a cool thing. I, the postcard project started, I guess about a year, maybe a year and a few months ago. Um, and it started as this idea, just as a way of collaborating with, um, the people who are supporting me on Patreon. So I, you know, I'm, like absolutely an independent artist. I go against the grain in every way. Um, so I do all of the work that I do, concerts and albums and all that stuff. I just kind of figure out on my own, like most of us, I think. It's actually a very common these days. Um, and uh, yeah, so I make, I decided to join this platform called Patreon. 
um, which is for those of you who aren't familiar with what it is, it's basically a way for you know creators and artists to make work and connect with a community of people who want to subscribe to that work. Maybe it's behind the scenes stuff or extra, you know, um, early releases or just, you know, extra stuff like that. And they subscribe by making a monthly pledge of like a dollar or $10 mm-hmm. or $2 or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But the point is that you, you kind of have access to this the artist has access to this support, which allows them to produce amazing art. And then the people who are, and I'm patrons of a whole bunch of people, and it's just this wonderful reciprocal kind of thing. Anyway, it started as a project <laughs> on Patreon. Sorry, I ramble too, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're um, in good company. And uh, <laughs> my, my listeners all are very well aware of my rambling and of Patreon.com. Oh, yeah, because you're on, <laughs> yes, of course, you're on Patreon.com. How did I, yeah. I you, whatever. <laughs> well, now you're doubly aware. So anyways, um, yeah, it started as basically a way, a fun collaboration on Patreon. And I didn't know if it was going to take off. I was kind of hesitant, but I, I put it out there and Todd Barton was one of my very <laughs> first wonderful um, collaborators on that project. He jumped on the opportunity and then a whole bunch of other people did as well. And um, it's, I've now basically what the, the way it works is that I create these um, graphic scores on the back of postcards. I make them all by hand and I send out the originals because it's just feels like the absolute right thing to do. So everyone gets like a handmade graphic score and generally no instructions, maybe like a little bit on the back that kind of tells them what to think about or how to approach it or like what, where to start. But often it's very, very open-ended. I mail them out the postcard. They kind of take some time, perform or interpret the postcard in whatever way makes sense to them. Um, mostly it's like through some kind of instrument, but there's actually, I have one person right now who's making a, a, like a film in response to one Whoa. of my postcards, which is super cool. I haven't seen it yet. I've just, he actually made a trailer, so he's just like teasing everybody <laughs> and it's ridiculous. It's getting out of control, but um, yeah, so they do that and then in whatever way makes sense again and like no rules, nothing, no wrong answers. It's just the point of it is exploration and experimentation and just responding to the notation in a way that feels right. And then they, to complete the conversation, they make, I send them a blank postcard too Mm -hmm. at the same time. And then they make their own postcard score, send it back to me. And then I do the same thing. And the conversation kind of can go forever or it can just be like a back and forth once. Um, That is such a cool idea. And these drawings that you've done are super cool. Like you're excellent. Uh, I don't know. Illustrator is the word. I'm like, it's like, what's the <laughs> word you. for it? It's not drawer. That's definitely not drawer. <laughs> drawer. Yeah. Well, we could, I mean, we could get into a whole, I mean, that we probably don't have time, but the graphic notation side of my work is actually huge. I don't talk about it a ton on my like outward facing stuff, but, or I don't know, but, um, I'm actually, What's that? I don't know. I, we we yeah, are running low on time, but I, I you you have piqued my interest. So give me the ele- <laughs> give me the elevator pitch. <laughs> oh no, um, I guess basically um, around or around the same time that I started really getting interested in like mixing acoustic and electronic instruments together, um, I realized very quickly that 
standard traditional Western notation probably wasn't going to cut it. Like, you know, I can say middle C on a trumpet, loud, soft, but like, how do you notate, you know, like squishy, <laughs> high density squish. I give me one of those. Like you can't do that on a five line staff. So, um, unless you use words, but I need a lot of those in my music. They're very important to mm -hmm. me. So I started to, you know, do a lot of research and, and, writing and thinking and dreaming about alternate methods of notation. It's a whole rabbit hole. But basically over the last four years or so, I've been developing a notation system. System sounds very dogmatic, like a practice, I uh -huh. guess, where I, um, I notate most of the pieces that I do these days. I compose a lot for people and for myself. And most of the time when I deliver a score, it it is in this kind of not Western notation system. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's very pictographic. It looks a lot like what you'd see on the postcard uh -huh. scores. So if you took a look at some of those, um, a lot of people, yeah, that's kind of what it would look like. A lot of circles. Yeah. Todd, <laughs> Todd's in particular looks really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, geez, I wish this, this seriously has flown by. <laughs> I, I wish we yeah. had more time cause I feel like we could talk about so much more stuff. Um, but alas, let's get to this adjective uh. envelope. Oh, I'm running low. Uh oh. <laughs> let's see here. <laughs> Acidic. Oh, I hope the next. Let's Ooh. see what we get. And your noun is. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Acidic earmuffs. That sounds painful. <laughs> that sounds like that should be the title of my next album. I think that's great. That does sound painful, yeah. right? I can do. I can totally. I, th do I that. think you can. <laughs> so, I don't know how the, working with oh with you God. on this is is going to be maybe a little different. Usually, I usually we hang up and and set a fifteen minute timer, and uh, you know the listener or the guest prepare.
Wow. That, uh, that was probably one of the more unique patches that we got on, that we've had on the show so far. Thank you, Sarah. Um, unfortunately, the last part of our conversation got screwed up uh, on my end, audio-wise. Um, just you know, go to her YouTube page. So many cool performances, and she's she's an excellent person to be a patron of on Patreon. Um, and speaking of her Patreon, she has the that that graphic score we were talking about earlier. Um, we're gonna collaborate on one of those. So I am w- patiently awaiting mine. It's it's on its way in the mail, and uh, I'm gonna get it. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to create my piece based off of her graphic score. And I think I'm gonna send her one. And then hopefully when that's all done, we will uh, we'll play it on we'll play it on the show. So something to look forward to. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Recovery Effects and AI Synthesis. Don't forget to go check those guys out. They're doing really cool, innovative stuff with uh, Eurorack format. And Recovery Effects even has effects pedals. Um, also, check out the uh, the modular on the spot cassette tape, cassette tapes plural at selfcenterrecords.bandcamp.com. This uh, track that you hear below me is from Dark Side of the Tune, uh, and that's the performance from. 7-29-2017 a lot of quality modular performances on the, these two cassettes um, I think that's about it if you want to help me out on patreon.com forward slash modular modcast I, uh, I would appreciate it um, I think that's about it until next week <laughs>